And welcome to a new series called Press Pass with the Editor on the Circus Voices Network, brought to you by Circus Talk News. This is Kim Campbell, the editor of Circus Talk News, and I'm happy to announce this monthly news-based podcast, which will revolve around the circus and the performing arts industry. The idea is to provide front row access to what's happening around the performance world. So later in the episode, we'll have a guest visit from Guinness Book World Record holder, and renowned Boliadora artist, Sarah Louis-Jean. But now for some headlines. Here's some news you might have missed this past month on Circus Talk News. Although it was announced in early February that Blue Man Group, an acquisition of Cirque du Soleil, would not reopen at Universal Studios in Orlando, it does appear that Cirque du Soleil plans to reopen their shows in Vegas and Orlando first, with their most optimistic date being July. But CEO Lamar also says in the same interview with Arts Hub that the likely return to touring shows will be in the fall of 2022, with 2021 being the year of preparation. In spite of several waves of lockdown happening over the past year in Australia, Australian company Circa recently premiered their cabaret-style show Peep Show, along with two other shows, Humans 2.0 and Sacra. For Peep Show, artistic director Yaron Lifshitz says they are using the artistic lens of contemporary circus and acrobats to explore cabaret and burlesque. To me, that sounds a bit like what Briefs and Hot Brown Honey, also from Australia, have been up to for years now. But perhaps Circa will be offering a more cis or less politically focused approach. The show premiered at the beloved Chameleon Theatre in Berlin and was playing at the Sydney Opera House up until February 14th. Some good news for U.S. performing arts venues... U.S. Congress approved a Save Our Stages COVID-19 relief grant, which offers $15 billion in grants for art and entertainment venues to help them survive the extended period of no-shows. How much of this will find its way to the circus industry remains to be seen. There's some good news, though, for freelance artists in California. New legislation called AB5 affects how they're paid. They can no longer be misclassified as independent contractors, meaning they're entitled to benefits of the actual staff members. Many smaller employers, however, say that the timing is bad for this because their budgets have been so impacted by COVID that they can't afford to put artists on their payroll because it will increase their overall cost by 30% at a time when their revenues are declining or have declined severely. What a conundrum. And now for some industry insights. This is a segment where we'll take the long view of what's happening in the circus sector. On Peace, the National Circus Alliance of Canada released results of their survey on the impacts of COVID-19 on the circus industry in Canada. This survey, totaling about 381 respondents, was conducted by On Peace in collaboration with Simon Bastien and took place from November to December 2020. It's important to note, though, that the study mainly concerned Canadian circus arts, artists and arts, but it also is easy to imagine that the numbers would mimic or actually be more extreme for circus sectors in less well-supported countries. On Peace admits in their report that the outlook is pretty bleak unless the government provides continued funding. Amongst individuals, the report says circus arts revenue has dropped 65% in 2020 compared to 2019. More than 80% are unable to plan their professional futures and practice their craft, 
while 94% are considering a career transition. 65% suffer from depression or anxiety. Those are some pretty bleak numbers. Among organizations, the numbers are similar. Total revenues decreased by 51%. The number of spectators reached fell by 94%. Perhaps even more disturbing, the number of participants in educational and social circus programs fell by 77%. A 53% reduction in the number of employees resulted in a cutback in paid hours, loss of expertise, and work overload. You can learn more about the report in the Circus Talk News article titled New Data Reveals COVID-19's Devastating Impact on the Circus Sector or by visiting the OnPiste website. And now for a look at shows. A year into the pandemic and live theater is still a rarity, but it seems most of the circus festivals have experience now creating digital seminars, workshops, and showings, and similarly, Many circus companies are offering their shows online as well as a way to keep their creativity flowing and, of course, most importantly, to generate some income at a time where income is scarce for artists. I have recently uh, seen two digital shows that I'd like to review here. The first is a preview of The Fleecing by Almanac Dance Circus Theatre. I had the pleasure of attending Almanac Dance Circus Theater's latest show, The Fleecing, where capitalist pigs, bombastic leaders, and the Great Reckoning merge into an interactive online experience, which replicates the mayhem and truthiness of our polarized culture. The result was getting to mingle with a network of in-character clowns and artists delivering some tongue-in-cheek zingers like, We are the fist that punches down. My privilege gives me the right to judge. The experience itself, however, was a bit overwhelming, even for those of us who spend many hours a day zooming from room to room. But I think that might have been the point of the show, to replicate that frenzied feeling that separates us from reality. The audience was expected to hop from breakout bucket to breakout bucket, and to pop in and out of webpage conspiracy fake news scenarios as we were spun from one absurdist moment to the next. In the midst of these rapid tone switches, there was circus dance, and performance art pieces to accompany the monologues and dialogues. The whole experience was led by the adjudicator and the abacus bearer, two influencers there to guide us in a process of elimination as we narrowed in on various competing groups with names like the evangelicals, the freaks, and the mystics. Seeing this unique show just once will not give you the whole picture necessarily. You might miss out on the actual reckoning and not be part of the chosen group, but it does give you a fast-paced escape from the life of regimented online Zoom meetings for a change. And for an hour or so, it breaks down all the walls so you can breathe with some fellow humans. Almanac Dance Theater's run of the fleecing is over, but you can catch more of their company and upcoming shows on their Circus Talk profile. The second review I'd like to share with you is of juggler Philippe Zahardininsky's solo show titled Collection of Skeptical Pleasures, which premiered via live stream as part of the ongoing Circopolis Fest in early February. This is a rare instance of a show title being a perfect description of what to expect. Philippe's skeptical pleasures tend to emerge throughout the piece with a focus on manipulation and movement, but there are also elements of neoclassical interior design and minimalism apparent in the scenography, which really makes a versatile backdrop. Philippe juxtapositions his earnest-seeming presentation with slow movements as he realigns furniture and props to set the stage for his next sequence, while also allowing in some clowning moments to break through, as a reminder that all is not as somber as it seems in his world. Dressed in black, his body seems to want to fade into the scenes rather than to stand out, allowing for the focus to be purely on the movement, and the movement quality is what he showcases with unique props, walking on cylinders, 
wearing a rotating box head for a mesmerizing dance sequence, and scarf-juggling a giant piece of tulle while working with an electric fan for some buoyancy. This show has the ceremony of a classic magic show, and the playful inquiry of a children's show, yet it's entirely its own. Where the magic really happens is when Philippe involves fabric, especially when he combines his ball-juggling and fabric. It creates a lush, poignant scene. On many occasions, he makes the stage an interactive partner, as while wearing a black, long skirt, silks that billow across the entire performance space, elevating his dramatic juggling motions to a dance between these elements. To find out more about Collection of Skeptical Pleasures and Circopolis, please visit Sircon's profile page on Circus Talk. I don't know if you know this, but you can actually list your show or your festival or your workshops on Circus Talk too, and you can sell tickets through us or donations, pay what you can type donations. You should visit Circus Talk and go to the events page and show pages to find out more about that. Let's talk about jobs for a second. The Circus Talk job board lists all sorts for the circus professional as well as performing arts from additions to administration. Here's a sample of what's up on the board these days. The Istanbul Fringe Festival in 2021 is going to put on a hybrid show and they're sending out a global call from artists. Uh, the deadline is March 27th. The show will be in Istanbul and online. Circus Smirkus, the famous summer camp for circus in Vermont, the USA, is looking for this summer's camp coaches and counselor positions. There's a May 1st deadline. Besides circus skills, what do you need to be a counselor or a coach? Applicants are encouraged to have teamwork, a good attitude, and the willingness to get things done. The American Youth Circus is planning its biannual conference, the ICOFest, for youth circus, and they're looking for folks to teach workshops, to lead discussions, or to give presentations online. Apply to take part in that virtual ICOFest by March 15th. I'm not sure if you know this, but Circus Talk Pro subscribers have access to the Circus Talk job database, which is updated daily by circus and performing arts festivals, programmers, and circus companies as they share their auditions and job information. You should visit the jobs board on Circus Talk to see the most recent offerings. What's happening in Circus Talk this March? Well, next week, Circus Talk will have a new milestone, two panels in one week. As part of our Wake Up Call for Inclusion series, we'll have Queering the Circus, exploring LGBTQIA circus realities and possibilities. This panel will be moderated by Professor Charles Batson and have a selection of LGBTQIA artists from around the world to share their thoughts on where queer life and circus intersect. The other panel is the second offering by Circus Talk associate editor and author Madeline Hoke on the circus body. Tune into her panel on the topic of aging circus bodies. And now for our education spotlight. Hi, and welcome to our education spotlight. My name is Lydia Nord, and I'm Circus Talk's journalism intern. I'm a communication and Spanish student at Florida State University, but more importantly, I'm a member of their Flying High Circus. Let's jump in. It is application season for upcoming circus students. Remember that due to the pandemic, some schools are being flexible, so even if a due date has passed, you should still check out each school's page to see if they're still accepting applicants. For example, the New England Center for Circus Arts is still taking applications even though their deadline has passed. Late applications will be reviewed if there are any open spots after auditions in March. Applications for the San Diego Circus Center, located in California, are due April 20th. 
and applications for the Salto International Circus School, located in Portugal, are due May 7th. Good luck, everybody! Up next, we got the opportunity to chat with Shana Swanson about Aloft Circus's new training programs. I asked her, with the state of the circus job market right now, what will make Aloft graduates marketable? She replied, Aloft has actually put our professional training programs on hold for the time being until we have a better answer to this question. We had success over the past six months with shorter term intensives, and so we have developed two new programs that we feel will be more relevant in COVID times prep school and finishing school. Prep school is a three-month audition preparation program. Finishing school is a program for people who have recently graduated from a circus program or newer professionals. I also asked her, how has COVID-19 changed what you want to teach circus students? Her answer was, I think that resiliency and tenacity have always been crucial factors in a good circus artist, but they have become so much more important now. It's also become abundantly clear how important video has become as a part of our art form. When our 2022 professional program comes back, we will absolutely be including extensive training in video creation and editing and social media presence. And now for our Meet the Artist segment. Hello, my guest is Sarah Louis-Jean, a Montreal, Germany-based circus artist whose specialty is contemporary boleadoras, and that's a variation of the Argentinian folk art form. If you haven't seen it, it looks a little bit like small poi, but there's a rhythmic element to it as the balls tap the ground, and there's a folk dance element to it as well. So I just wanted to ask you, boleadoras has historically been performed by men as an Argentinian folk dance, and you've kind of created this contemporary version of it along with your contemporaries. Um, but as a Black woman championing the art form, have you had a positive response from other dancers? Or have you met some resistance for being a woman or for being not Argentinian or, being, or for being a Black woman? I've always had an amazing response from other dancers. And it never have been uh, stated that I'm a woman or that I'm a black non I'm Argentinian woman um, actually I've always had an amazing response from uh, as I was saying uh, other artists um, and they were always curious to know why I was so passionate about this art form and uh, when I went to Argentina I was mostly the only woman doing Bolladeras classes when I started and Actually, people were happy and uh, were wondering how I started. And it was always been great to, to be to going there and having seeing the reaction from other people over there. And uh, I have to say that when I went to Argentina, I actually also visited uh, the city called Santiago del Estero, which is the capital of the traditional dance of Argentina. And I got asked to do a show there, like a solo show. I was very nervous. And at the end, people were screaming and people were welcoming me with smiles and happiness to see that a Canadian was doing their traditional dance. And nowadays, 
people mostly do a more contemporary art form of the boladeras and it's danced all around the world so uh, it's always been very very positive wow that's beautiful sounds like you were really welcomed uh for your skills that's amazing um so i mentioned before you've worked with some big names in circus um and the performing arts world was it always your dream to work in circus and performing arts i would say that i was lucky because my parents described me to a dance school when I was three years old. So I always were immersed by the arts. And I, when people were asking me, what do you want to do when you are going to be older? And as soon as three years old, I knew that I wanted to become a dancer. I was lucky to have done my first show at the young age of three. I still remember I was on stage and I closed my eyes and I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, uh, I felt the energy from the public, the audience, and I couldn't see them, but I knew how they were feeling and I enjoyed, Mm. you know, making them uh, dreaming or for maybe three, four minutes of my choreography to make them think uh, being in another world and that's what I wanted to do and never changed I never changed my mind basically so uh, yes I was very happy later on to do it as a career but I've always worked in the gold to become working as a performer uh, and later in the when I was a teenager I discovered circus and that's when I started and I knew I wanted to become a, a circus dance performer. Well, I want to congratulate you because you're now in the Guinness Book of World's Record for having the most Boliodaras taps in one minute, which is like 385. That's amazing. What, what did it mean to break that previous record to you? For me, it means that I'm sending a message that when we have a dream, we can really work hard to achieve it. Dreams are possible to be achieved when we put efforts into it. We have to put ourselves in a great mindset, a positive mindset Mm -hmm. with hope and with consistency, things are possible. It's going to be hard. We're going to do mistakes. We're going to fall many, many, many times. Like it's normal, but we have to get up and keep on continuing. For me, I would say that Boladeras is more than a discipline. It's really representing the fact that uh, we have inner strength to overcome all the obstacles that are happening in our life and we can use that energy from the inside to uh, achieve what we want to really it's something in is there inside of us and we can do whatever we want so it's really more than achievements than an achievement it's really represent like a message of hope and that everyone has this strength that's what I the message that I want to 
share with people. That's beautiful. And to connect with your art form like that and to encourage people to do so also is a great, uh, it's a great mission, especially in these times where people really need inspiration like that, I think. Um, one last question for you. I'd like to congratulate you as well for being the spokesperson for the year for the Guinness Book of World Records. And I wondered what kind of activities will you do as the spokesperson in your role with them? And how do you hope to impact um, your fan base and the, and the readers of the Guinness Book of World Records? As a spokesperson, I was, first of all, very honored to be ha- have been chosen. And I had the chance to do many interviews for newspapers, medias, and I would say that I always had the message in my mind more than just saying and achieved something. So I met a lot of uh, journalists and talked about um, my career and my record and the book as well. So uh, I had the chance as well to have been chosen to do a one-hour conference in front of the members of the Guinness World Records North America. They were about 40, 50 people, and I talked about my career and um, how I prepared myself to uh, do my achievement, but also do my shows. So it was a great a uh, way to meet people and share about what's um, ignites what ignites my uh, passion basically so, thank you for receiving me it was a pleasure to uh, share with you my experience as a bladderess performer and uh, I encourage you to go see my website and also my YouTube videos where I post a lot of different uh, films that I do about Boladeras. And in April, I'm happy to say that I have re- I'm writing right, right now a book called The Art of Boladeras, and it's going to be published uh, during that month. So if you want to continue to uh, see all what I do, so keep on following me on the social media, on my website. Thank you again. Bye. You're going to have a great year, and it's a good thing to, during a pandemic year to have, too. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for being our guest today. That's it for episode one of Press Pass from the Editor, your front row access to what's happening in the performance world and a monthly circus news podcast brought to you by Circus Voices and Circus Talk. It's all the circus news in your ear. We're also so excited to announce that Circus Voices was voted number one circus podcast by Feedspot on the list top 20 circus podcasts you must follow in 2021. And there are many, many great circus podcasts listed there. So please check it out. Thank you for including us. Feedspot. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and consider taking a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts so we can reach more people interested in circus and the performing arts. Also, we'd love to hear from you directly, so please send your podcast-worthy news to news at circustalk.com.